Uh, welcome everyone to Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I have a lovely guest with me. Her name is Krista Scott Dixon. Hey there. Uh, so let's kind of jump right into it and kind of start with who you are, what you do, and kind of go from there. Okay, so I currently uh, design coaching curriculum for a company called Precision Nutrition that some of your listeners may know about. Uh, so we do online coaching for people who are looking to, you know, get in shape, change their bodies, get healthy, whatever. And then we also certify coaches like fitness trainers or anyone who wants to be a nutrition coach. So I also write some of the curriculum for our coaching certifications. So I kind of do like curriculum education. I do speaking and, and teaching and presenting as well. So that's my role at Precision Nutrition. And then my background is, I like to say that I'm an escaped academic. So I used to be a university professor and, uh, and then I left academia. So this is what I'm doing now. And uh, it's, it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I actually have my uh, level one in Precision Nutrition and I thought it was awesome. And it kind of just gets to the point and really easy to understand if you're a client getting coached by a PN coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you for getting your level one. That's no joke, actually. Yeah. Well, I really want to get the level two, but I got to get some more spare cash. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I mean, from my completely unbiased point of view, I will say it is worth it. Yeah, I saw the curriculum in uh, one full year. That's That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it really is. It's like trial by fire. Like you, you come out the other end and you're like not scared of any coaching situation ever again. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so touching on that, what's kind of like your philosophy on nutrition and healthy eating and how would you like work with a client? Like how would your like whole process go with that? Um, this is such a good question because I like the, the question of a philosophy, like is something I think a lot of people don't even think about, like, like, like what is your meta theory of coaching or, or nutrition or health? I think a lot of people actually don't ever stop to think about like, what am I even trying to do here? Right. And so it's such a great question. I've been sort of thinking about it and, and I don't know if I've actually come to a complete answer, but I think that one of the pieces is helping people like any kind of health, fitness, nutrition project should really help people change and develop and grow through finding their own strengths and their own resources. Because I think we focus a lot on people's weaknesses, quote unquote, or, you know, all the things that they're doing wrong or, you know, and, and clients do this too. Like they'll come to us and they'll say, oh, I was so bad and I did this and I'm, you know, doing that. And I did this wrong and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it becomes this kind of like confessional, right. Of all the things they're doing wrong. And, and to me, that just feels very demotivating and, and disempowering. And so I'd like to start from this question of like, what are people doing right? And what do they actually know now? Or what skills do they have now? And it's often a lot more than they realize because most of our nutrition clients or health clients or fitness clients are like completely functioning people <laughs> in yeah. other areas of their life, right? They have jobs and they do grown up things and whatever. So um, like, I, I think sometimes we forget to look for those strengths and resources. And so, you know, for, for example, like let's say you have a client who is super organized in their job and are having trouble with, you know, meal planning or something like that. Well, it's not a huge jump to say, Hey, look, let's take your skills in organizing and just bring those over into the domain of nutrition and food and health 
to get you organized with some kind of plan to help you eat better. And it's funny because it's so obvious when you say it and then people are like, oh yeah, I never yeah. thought that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so that actually makes coaching really nice and fun and smooth. So it, it really is a strengths-based philosophy. Like how can we take what you've got and make it better and make it stronger and also sort of treat the human body as a very resilient, resourceful thing, right? And explain to people, like if you were eating poorly or, or doing things like emotional eating that you're not really happy about, it doesn't mean that you suck. It, it means that your body is trying to solve a problem in a very resourceful, you know, but incorrect kind of way. But if you, if you look at it from this perspective, you can go, actually, it makes complete sense that I might be emotionally eating or that my body would store body fat, you know, and sock it away for a rainy day. Like it's actually, you know, it shows that my body's actually working properly. So that's generally the, the, you know, approach I like to take. And then in terms of practical strategies, I really like to make it behavioral and experiential. So instead of like telling people a bunch of stuff, I'm like, Hey, here's a little thing to try, go and try it and, and see what happens. Or here's an experiment, go and give that a, a go and just see what you notice, see what you discover. So it's very hands-on, very experience-based, very behaviorally based because really, you know, I mean, how many times have we tried to solve a problem by thinking about it, right? And we, and we think and we think and we think and we're like, maybe I'll just think harder. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get nowhere, right? Like exactly. we spend a lot of time thinking because it feels like we're doing something, but we're not actually doing something. So I like to get people actually doing something as quickly as possible. Yeah, like I find like when I deal with my clients, like the moment we talk about their diet, it's almost like they feel that they have to change everything and everything they're doing is wrong and they suck. And I'm like, honestly, let's just focus on one little thing that doesn't seem so overwhelming and you'll feel great right after. Like if it's just like you're skipping breakfast, it's like, why not we just try having breakfast? It could be a freaking Pop-Tart to start. I don't really care as long as you kind of build that habit of thinking, oh, I need to start adding breakfast in that's not a big deal to me something like that yeah I love what you're saying there too because I think people might be listening and they might be saying oh but isn't a pop-tart terrible and, and you know like we can work with that but but I love this point that you're making that we're starting at zero right yeah and a pop-tart is better than zero so like every movement away from zero as far as I'm concerned is a bonus and the other thing I like in what you're saying there is we are playing the long game as coaches, right? So I don't really care what you do today. I don't really care what you do tomorrow. But over time, like over months and weeks and you know, maybe even years, that's when things start to really unfold. So I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about what's happening like right in this minute, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I like, uh, what's his face, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He always says that he plays the game of the marathon and never the sprint. Because mm-hmm. that'll, that'll lead you to long-term success. And that's what I try to tell everybody that I work with. It's like, it's not going to happen in 30 days. It's not going to happen in 60. Like, one full year of being consistent with new lifestyle changes is going to, like, blow you away when you get to that point. Yeah. And, of course, no one wants to hear that, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. like, can you fix 40 years of bad eating habits in a week, please? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have something to go to on Saturday, so if you could make that all go away, that would yeah. be great. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean I can't drop 10 pounds in a week? <laughs> right. uh, so what's kind of like the most common obstacle or challenge you see with your clients or just in general with PN clients that try to fix their eating? Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with what you were mentioning earlier, which is trying to do too much at once. 
and then either getting overwhelmed or getting burned out. And, and I think there are different kinds of people like that, you know, people, people have different headspaces around this. And so for example, someone who is a really high functioning achievement oriented person will try to do a lot and then just get burned out. Right. Um, and then someone who is a little bit you know, kind of needs a little bit more of a chill approach. They might try to do too much and they'll feel overwhelmed. So in either case, you kind of come to nothing, right? Like both groups of people are, are, you know, frustrated and demotivated and and not really getting the results they're looking for. So I think for whatever reason in North America, we're just in love with speed and we're in love with stuff, like accumulating stuff and hoarding stuff and doing stuff. And, And so I think it's very difficult for most people to uh, have to slow down and be methodical and do one thing at a time. Cause it's just not in our programming really for most of us. So I, I think that's one of the biggest ones. I mean, the cool thing is once people get the hang of it, they're like, wow, this is awesome. Right. And they, and they see how they can do it elsewhere in their lives. But I think that's really one of the, the, biggest overarching issues. Um, the other one I would say is that and they're related, but people don't have a lot of self-awareness. Um, and part of that is just rushing, you know, part of that is trying to do a bunch of stuff at once. And so you're not really paying attention to any of them. It's like that classic, you know, driving while trying to send an email and listen to the radio yeah. and talk to the person in your car. And meanwhile, you're just like mowing down pedestrians because <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not doing anything well. You're sending gibberish emails. Um, and so, you know, I think people really lack self-awareness, again, just because that's what it's like to live in 2016. Um, and so one of the very simple tools that we use is just helping people build awareness of what they're actually doing. So before I even try to solve a problem for a client, I'm like, let's just get a sense of what you're doing. Like keep a little journal or just take some notes or take a picture, like depending on whatever it is we're trying to look at. Um, just check in and notice what is going on and we'll worry about changing it later, but just notice. And often awareness on its own will start to change people's behavior, which is really cool. And it's also sort of a, I don't know, people, people feel better when they're more aware of what's happening. They feel less out of control of their lives. So, so those are the two kind of overarching ones I would say. Yeah. I think self-awareness is huge. Cause like when I work with a new client, I kind of like, just ask them, like, so, like, how's your eating going? And they're like, oh, I eat pretty good. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, but okay, let's let's, let's, let's let's hear you out, right? Yeah, I always think of Dr. House saying everybody lies, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they're not, and it's not that they're, like, they don't, they're not trying to mislead us. It's more that the human brain is really, really good at hiding things from us, right? So, like, I might genuinely believe that I'm eating well. And I have been in that situation myself, right? I have my own nutrition coach, and I was lying to him. Again, not intentionally, but, like, convinced that I, that I was doing stuff I wasn't doing or, you know, not doing what I was doing. So, um, so we're just really bad at it as, as human beings. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I always love that. Like people are always saying, yeah, I eat really healthy. I eat pretty good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's check that hypothesis out. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like for me, like even in my brain, sometimes it's like middle of the week and I'm like, ah, I could have a piece of cheesecake. I worked out today. It's all good. <laughs> but like that, that stuff adds up eventually if you constantly think like that. And I think with clients, if they're not even aware that they're making those small little habits every day or like, you know, the extra beer here and there, it 
eventually adds up throughout the week, throughout the month, and boom, a year goes by, and you're like, oh, how did I gain 10 pounds? Yeah, and you know the research shows that we can uh, incorrectly estimate our intake by something like, you know, in extreme cases, like 1,000 to 1,500 calories a day, which for people listening is like almost an entire day's worth of intake, right? Like it's it's quite a, it's not like half a sandwich. It's like an entire sandwich and a milkshake. Yeah. Yeah. Like even for me, like I experimented, uh, with a cutting diet and it was like the worst experience of my life. Cause I like calculated every single calorie. And at one point I was eating, I think it was like 1500 calories or less. And the amount of food that 1500 calories is, is so little so that idea of like a regular client eating around 2,000 to 2,500, they're probably overeating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is like when you're coaching a new client, like at what point do you kind of see like a breakthrough or a success with them? Is it like at the 30-day mark, the two-month mark, or like half a year? Like what's kind of the average uh, you know, I think I think maybe there is no average. I think everyone is different, and uh, you know, some some clients are really ready. They're really like completely ready and willing and able, and they almost just take off right from the beginning. Boom! They they either their bodies respond quickly, or if their bodies don't respond quickly necessarily, their head does. You know, they they start changing their thoughts and changing their perspective and changing their habits like right away. Uh, those are like your early adopters, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, and then some people maybe for whatever reason are not in such a state of readiness. Um, and it takes them a little bit longer and they need more of a, a gentle and slow approach. Um, sometimes that's psychological and sometimes it's also physical. Like, let's say you have a client who is coming to you, who's recovering from an injury or, uh, you know, uh, coming off a long period of overtraining or has some kind of hormonal disruption that really needs a long, slow process of, uh, you know, nutritional adjustment or something. Um, so really everyone is, is quite different, but I would definitely say that we really see significant changes around the eight month mark, um, in our PN coaching program. So it's a year long program and, I, I really see changes about the eight month mark. Like people are like, Oh, like everything starts to kind of come together. And there are very like predictable stages too. like the three or four month mark. People are like, they're getting the idea that this is not like all fireworks and parties. You know? yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh, this is like not a fun thrill ride all the time as I had kind of hoped. Um, and sometimes around the six month mark, they just need to take a break. But then by the eight month mark, it just sort of starts to come like everything starts to gel. So I find that kind of a magical time, the eight month mark. And again, it's, it's different for everyone, but that seems to be optimal for most people where all the things come together. Okay. How do you, uh, deal with like, I would, I would categorize them as like lame excuses where an example would be like if you have your client doing food logs and you kind of want to just have them do it just to see what they're eating. And then, you know, halfway through coaching them, they're like, ah, I don't really feel like I should be doing these anymore. It's too stressful for me or something like that. Like, how would you deal with an excuse like that? Yeah, I like so. So in psychology, they call this resistance. Right. And yeah. and resistance is such a fascinating thing to me actually because resistance is really information about where people are at and so if you're a coach and you kind of get frustrated by this 
um, then that won't go anywhere because you'll be like, oh, why is this person being a jerk? <laughs> yeah. why, are they being, why are they giving me like bullshit excuses and stuff? Um, but if you treat resistance as insight and information and you get really curious about it, then it kind of opens up the door to learning more about people. So let's say you've given your client, let, let, a food journal is a perfect example, and, and they're not doing it. For, and, and, they're, and either they're outright refusing, which sometimes happens, or they're doing the more passive forms of resistance like, oops, I forgot, right? Yeah. Oops, I forgot my sheet at home, or oh, I was too busy, or whatever. To me, that's very interesting, and I start getting curious about that. And so I talk about that, like, oh, uh, you know, um, tell me more about, about journaling for you. Like, is this something that you want to do right now? Um, do you need help? Like, because sometimes there are different reasons for it, right? Like, sometimes people are just disorganized, right? And so the coaching there is around organization and planning and finding a way to make it super easy for this person to journal. So with that client, I might be like, hey, you know what? Uh, you always have your phone with you. Snap a picture of what you're eating. Boom, done. Takes you like five seconds, right? Um, with another client who doesn't really want to know what they're eating right now, we might talk about that. Like, is this something that you're ready to do right now? Um, is this bringing up something for you that you would really rather not deal with, right? Like, you can kind of have that conversation. And sometimes they just need to say, I don't want you as the coach to see what I'm eating right now. You know what I mean? Which yeah. opens up a whole different kind of conversation because you're going in there thinking, oh, God, what is wrong with this person? They suck, right? Like secretly deep down, that's what you're thinking, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then you leave out of that conversation going, oh, you know what? This person is really struggling with some stuff and they think that I'm judging them. And so this was actually like surfacing this resistance was actually an opportunity for me to talk about judgment in the coaching relationship, right? And so we, we kind of got it on the table. We were able to talk about, like, the fact that I'm not judging them and whatever. So, um, you know, and so we left that encounter with a renewed understanding of what we're even doing here, and maybe the client was willing to do it. So I treat all quote-unquote resistance as information. There's something else happening with the client that I don't yet understand or know about. Yeah, I kind of look at it as like there's something going on and they want to kind of make the excuse that, oh, I don't have time for the food logs, but there's probably something else causing them not to feel like they should be writing down everything they're eating. There might be something else. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just like make little notes about like, okay, this person did this, but I don't really know how to like intervene or kind of like, hey, maybe you should try this or maybe you should do something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and this is, I mean, I think a lot of the time too, as coaches, we feel like we should do something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like I got to do something right away to fix this. And I encourage people to sort of not fix things right away. Right. Um, and so let's say we have this client, right. Who's come to us and they're just not doing this. Uh, you know, we can, we can, there's lots of, there's techniques for kind of working through this, but one of the options that's always on the table for you as a coach is to say, is this not, is this a good time to do this? Like, are you ready, willing, and able to do this right now? Um, and if the person says, yes, yes, absolutely. I really want to do this. You know, then the direction goes one place, but someone might say, you know what? I just, I don't want to do this right now. As the coach, you're like, okay, cool. I can always take that off the table. We don't have to do this right now. So, you know, for a coach, there's always the option of not 
fixing things right now. There's the option of allowing the client to sort of sit with the uncomfortableness of it. And you can, I mean, you can have a grown up conversation and say, look, um, you know, a food journal is a useful tool. Here's how I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm not seeing it as a way to judge you. It's just for me to understand what's happening. But, you know, right now, if you don't feel like that's something you want to do, cool, we'll try something else. Um, I have some ideas about what our next steps might be. Um, and you might have some ideas. So let's write all those down and see if we can come to sort of some place of agreement where we're both going to agree on what your next steps are. So you can always come back to it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I always say, like, it really depends on the person if they made, like, their health a priority at the moment that, you know, you're coaching them through nutrition because they might be say, putting only 50% effort into improving their health while at the same time, who knows if they're dealing with, like, a divorce or they, like, bought a new house or a baby's on the way. Like, you, you don't really know the whole story. So you yeah. kinda, I feel like I always kind of try to give them as much slack as possible at the same time, kind of guiding them to the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we come back to this idea of, of playing the long game, I mean, ultimately, the quality of my relationship with a client is vastly more important than making them do what I want them to do right now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so there have been times when I've said to a client, Hey man, we don't need to do this right now. Like, let's just, I was on a, a, a coaching call yesterday, actually with a client who's just, just got back after a long traveling, you know, experience and was tired. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's just take a break. <laughs> yeah. you, you just need a break right now. Um, and that's perfectly fine. Right? Like I think, uh, we don't need to be on clients cases all the time. We, we flow with them, right? We sort of assess the situation. And, and in, in our level two certification, we talk a lot about being client centered, right? Really having that empathy for the client, feeling for where they're at, the compassion for them, and just trying to track with them, right? Some days they'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, let's kick the world in the ass, right? That, oh, great. That's, that's when you have your superstar day. Other days are going to come in. Like you say, they've got a new baby. They're going through a divorce. Things are crazy at work, whatever. You know, really, for most coaches, unless you train elite athletes, most of your clients can't possibly give the level of attention to their health and fitness and training that you want them to, right? Yeah. If they just can't. The, the pie of their life it has so many other slices in it, right? So... Um, and that's something, sometimes it's hard to remember, but I, I do try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Like I also look at like the calendar year that, you know, during summer, I even tell clients the best outcome during summer is to maintain your weight. Realistically, you're probably not going to lose any weight and, you know, enjoy yourself. And then when you get back into September, like kind of get into that mindset where, okay, this is where it's time to get serious. Yeah. And, and there are these cycles in people's lives, right? And, and they're totally normal. And, and someone might just, you know, not feel like training for a month. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is like, how do you help motivate a client where they just seem like they have none? <laughs> I don't actually, to okay. be totally honest. Yeah. I, I mean, it comes back to the sort of ready, willing, enable thing. Like, I sort of see my job as a coach not to give them motivation necessarily, but to uncover any intrinsic motivation that they have. So, because often people want to do something, but they don't even really know why they want it to, right? Like they'll come to the gym and say, well, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Why? Well, I just do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that's not a good, like that's not going to keep you getting out of bed in the morning, right? Like when it's a cold day in February and it's like six in the morning and that alarm goes off. I just do is not going to get you out of bed. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so really my job as a coach is more to help you articulate what is driving you, uh, what is pushing you, what is pulling you, and also to shift your attention as much as possible towards the pulls rather than the pushes. And so what I mean by that is a push is like something you don't want, right? Like I don't want to be out of shape. I don't want to have pain in my knees. I don't want to die an early death, right? And that's kind of a good starter motivation because I think a lot of us come to fitness because of some scare or some cautionary tale or something bad happened to us, right? I mean, that's certainly how I started. Um, But you want to shift their attention to the pulls. And so the pulls are the intrinsic inner game kinds of benefits to things. Like I feel good inside when I do this. I feel good about myself. I feel more confident. I feel like a role model for my kids. You know, I have more energy. I'm sleeping better. Like all these things that really have nothing to do with how I look or how people, you know, perceive me or, you know, my external performance. They're all kind of like happening inside me. Um, And they're very positive things. Those are pulls. Like I like feeling good. So now that I've accessed feeling good, I want to do more feeling good. So as much as possible, I try to shift people away from, you know, what they don't want and towards what they do want. Hey, maybe I would like to be in good enough shape to go surfing in some really nice tropical location. Or, you know, maybe I want to take that trip of a lifetime and walk along the Great Wall of China or just whatever, right? So so as a coach, I don't really give them motivation. I, I uncover their motivation and remind them of it, right? Um, and, and kind of keep keep attuning to what is truly important to them. And that means accepting the possibility that maybe they won't care. Um, A friend of mine, another coaching colleague, has this idea of caring units. That as a coach, we have so many caring units. Um, And clients have caring units too, like how much they care. And we as coaches should care one unit less than our clients do. Like we should never care more than our clients do because we'll get nowhere. Right. And we'll just get burned out and frustrated and, you know, pissed off. At them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, so they have to care just enough and we can help boost them. Right. But ultimately our job is really to contact them with what they want and what would be in alignment with their values. And we've had people start coaching at PN coaching, you know, with uh, motivations that aren't really theirs um, and then they'll drop out. And then six months later, they'll come back and be like, oh, now I know why I'm doing this. And then they're great. Yeah, like sometimes um, when I'm talking to a client and say they're not numbers based or like, I don't care about dropping 10 pounds. I just want to feel better. And then I kind of try to pick and pull like what does feeling better mean to them. Mm-hmm. And like, even if it's something small, like, you know, if they take the stairs in their building and they're not huffing and puffing by the time they hit the third floor, like, that's a huge goal like to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like as a coach, once you know what matters to them, you just hit that and hit that and hit that and hit that. Like, how are you feeling today? Oh, are you feeling better? Awesome. Like you just keep drawing their attention to it. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I was going to touch on is like kind of like eating behaviors. Cause a good example is like if you have a client and you know, they had a stressful day at work and they're like, you know what? I need a couple beers. And then, six pack later, they're like, I'm going to feel horrible tomorrow. <laughs> right? <laughs> like how, how do you deal with that? Or like, if it's to a point that it's really bad, like how do you, can you even like intervene? Or is that at the point where you should be like, maybe you should go see somebody else. That's not me to help you with that. <laughs> right? Like I've always been curious about that. Cause I've had some instances with 
certain clients that will open up to me and like just tell me everything laid on a table and I was like in my head like wow man I wish I knew what to say right now (laughs) yeah yeah oh for sure and I'm sure that almost every coach if they're even halfway sympathetic has had some version of that right uh whether that's eating whether that's drinking whether that's anything else right life stuff um and so this is this is where I come back to this kind of basic attitude of just curiosity and exploration and empathy and compassion, right? And so generally, when people are doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, they're not trying to be dicks about it. It's that for some reason, this is an attempt to solve a problem. And they're not solving it correctly. <laughs> you know, they're not solving it in like the most optimal way, but it is an attempt to solve the problem. So I have a stressful day at work. I come home, I have a beer, I feel better. Oh, problem solved, right? Yep. And I have six beers. Now the problem is really solved. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now, of course, I've created new problems, right? So, but, but, but if I understand drinking six beers as a misguided attempt to solve a problem, then it starts to make sense. And so as the coach... At Precision Nutrition, we have these questions. We call them the two crazy questions. They're actually from motivational interviewing, but we've just pared them down to two. And so the first question is, okay, what is good about what you're doing? Like, what is good about drinking a six-pack of beer? How does it benefit you? How does it serve you? How does it help you? And then the second question is, what would be bad about changing that? What would you have to lose? What would you have to give up? Well, you'd have to face your stress. That would suck, right? Um, And those are kind of like two opposite questions. That's what we call them the crazy questions because clients are expecting us to say, you know, well, that's so bad and you shouldn't be doing that and blah, blah, blah. But if we start by affirming that there's something good about what they're doing, all of a sudden it starts to shift things in their brain. They're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Uh, geez, I guess it helps me relieve stress. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm doing it. And what would I lose? Well, I don't have any other way to cope with my stress. As the coach, you're like, ooh, ding, ding, ding. Now, now we start to see the path. Okay, this person needs a way to cope with their stress. Maybe I'm not even going to touch the beer drinking. But what I'm going to do is say, hey, you know what? How about on the way home from work, you just stop by here at the gym for like half an hour and we'll work on some of that stress, right? Um, and by the time you leave, maybe you'll feel better and you won't want to be here, right? So you start, you start replacing um, you know, the unwanted behaviors with positive experiences. Uh, and so maybe the person you know, comes to see you after work and they go home and they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't even really need to be here. I feel way better now. Yeah. So, so that's one way to play it. But I think the openness and the non-judgmental attitude are really, really important. Because if I say to you, hey, that's terrible. You shouldn't be drinking all that beer. You're going to be like, no, you can't take away my beer. Like you, you'll immediately dig in and become defensive or you'll feel like an idiot or, you know, whatever. So that kind of curiosity, like, wow, what's that beer about for you uh, is, is a great place to start. And also the empathy, like, man, I feel you. You know, your job must be challenging if that's what you feel you need to do. Um, and often just accepting people creates change. It's sort of a, a lovely coaching paradox, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like the clients that have like spoken to me about their issues, I always tell them like, that's awesome that you're telling me because that's just a sign that you know it's a thing you want to change. And rather than just keeping it inside and, you know, secretly going around and just like eating your face off and hoping that it's just going to fix itself probably not going to work but the fact that you're telling me right now means that you're like ready to get this thing out of your system 
Yes. And that's such an important point. Uh, you know, as soon as they start talking about it and telling you and bringing you into that, the clock is starting to tick. You know what I mean? It's like now, now someone else knows and they have spoken about it and it can't be unspoken, right? So something has already fundamentally shifted in their relationship with this behavior. Yeah, definitely. Like I even for myself, like way, way back, I used to binge eat a lot. Like I would eat super clean during the week and like, boom, Friday came. I was like my go-to, like wherever I wanted to go, I would go nuts for it. But then like the next day I was like, oh my God, I can't yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would be in very good company. Cause I think like 99% of people in the fitness industry do something. Like oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but like what I remember what I was doing was like, I would plan a workout the next day, like fairly early in the morning enough to make me like it wasn't worth it last night maybe yeah. I should like <laughs> keep my like last meal a little bit earlier so now I'm like eliminating that say like I don't know 8 p.m to 11 p.m of just crap so at least you like decrease it a little bit and then eventually it phased out but yeah and actually you're bringing up a really good point here because that is one great technique for changing behaviors is just starting to slot in other behaviors that compete with them, right? So like maybe as the coach, you don't even touch the Friday night party time, right? Like you don't say anything about it. <laughs> you just ignore it. But what you do is you book the client in for an early morning session on Saturday morning, right? And so now you've introduced something that competes with the behavior um, and, and starts to kind of, you know, grapple for dominance. This happens to a lot of people who um, start running because uh, a lot of runners in particular for some reason especially like endurance athletes are often also people who have addictions so like i think the mentality that makes you a, a really good endurance athlete probably also makes you a really good you know uh, person to be hooked on stuff and a lot of them you know take up running and then quit smoking or quit drinking because the running is starting to give them that feeling or starting to compete with uh, the drinking and the smoking so um, that's a great way to play it if you possibly can yeah, like I remember talking to one client that uh, was trying to eliminate the amount of beers that he was having. And I was like, you know what you could easily do is just rather than having the beers in the fridge, leave them out. You probably won't want a warm beer. <laughs> right? And he's yes. like, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm like, yeah, it's like bulletproof. <laughs> that is so great. Wow. Yeah. Listeners, take that one. That is yeah. that is excellent. A plus plus. Yeah. And, and the, the thing I love in what you're saying too is you can kind of make, it's not really laziness, but you can kind of make your own laziness work for you uh, and by, by adjusting your environment so that the things that you like you know, quote unquote, your bad habits, the things that you want to do are so much harder to do. Right. And your own laziness kicks in. You're like, Oh, I don't really want a oh, warm beer. Oh, I forget it. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, if you have to walk to the store to get ice cream, you're like, Oh, so far. It's dark. Right? So yeah. Just, you know, make it, make it harder to do the stuff that you would, you know, don't want to do and make it easy to do the stuff that you do want to do. Yeah, actually, what I do, like, I like having snacks around the house, but if I have them around, I'll, like, just devour them. So what I've been doing is, like, with any kind of dessert or anything that I can put in the freezer, I'll put it in there. And any time I'm like, oh, you know what? I want that donut that I bought two weeks ago. Damn, I have to thaw it out. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, I like that. Uh, the next one I was going to ask you is, like, how do you deal with, like, stress management and how do you kind of come across with clients to tell them like the benefits of if you manage your stress, you'll feel that much better and things like that. 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, sometimes people aren't even ready to manage their stress, actually. Like, it comes back to this readiness question and this sort of self-awareness and, and what's working for them. Honestly, some people love their stress. Like, as much as they bitch about it and, oh, I'm so stressed out, they kind of love it. And, and so using those two crazy questions can be really helpful because they start to realize, oh, like, I'm, I'm chasing stress because it makes me feel important if I'm busy or um, it distracts me from something I don't want to confront in my life. A lot of male clients we see, especially um, work, work is like their drug, right? Work is their way to avoid a lot of their stuff in their life. Um, so I get curious about the value of stress for them in the first place. And I mean, some stress is kind of like random and unavoidable, right? Like let's say some random, horrible medical thing happens to a close family member and everything is just overturned in your life. Okay, that happens. But I think most of our stress is of the chronic, grinding, everyday bullshit <laughs> variety, right? Yeah. Um, and I think most of us have really never questioned the presence of stress in our life. It's just kind of there. And so I do find that once I start digging with clients about like what is good about the stress in your life, we discover that there's some reason that they're attached to it. And I don't say that in like a blaming way. It's, it's more like um, they've organized their life around the stress because it fulfills some kind of function for them. And letting that go would be really scary. Um, for a lot of people, it's a control thing, right? I have to get super anxious about a whole lot of stuff because if I don't, I will feel out of control of the world, right? Like I have yeah. to sort of mentally, it's like, you know, I have a weird fear of uh, flying, which I completely recognize as irrational. But like when I'm on a plane, I'm like mentally willing the plane to stay in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> the power of my psychic abilities. And, and I think a lot of people do this with, with their lives. They, they overthink, they ruminate, they, you know, try to keep their plane in the air through, with their minds. So again, I like to begin before I even tell them about how they should change. I begin by getting curious about what, what that stress is doing for them and, and what would suck about having me give that up. Cause for a lot of people, it's really scary to give up the stress. Um, and then I like to assign a mind body scan habit. And so this comes back to building the awareness of like, you know what, before you try to relax, just notice like what is even happening with you. And so, you know, a mind body scan is just super simple. It's like, you just sort of take a minute or two and you sort of just scan down your body and you just notice like whatever is there. Like if your shoulders are tight, your ears are, I don't know, itchy or whatever, if it's cold. Um, and you notice what you're thinking and what you're sensing physically and what you're feeling emotionally, if you can notice that. And, and then you just jot down some notes and then over time you start to build this picture of what's going on for you. So I find that like a week or two of doing that with clients, um, I don't even need to really talk much about stress management because they'll come to me and they'll be like, whoa, I had no idea like how torqued up I was or how tense I was. And this is something I'd like to change. And then from there, once they're ready, we start to go with like some breathing stuff and, um, you know, something really, really simple that they can do anywhere, anytime. Breathing stuff is great, I find, you know, because you can do it in like 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Yeah, like I remember uh, working with one client and like you said, like male, like kind of like top exec in his company and super stressed out. And I'm like, honestly, right before bed, like lay down face first and do some belly breathing and you'll probably fall asleep real fast and not like 
keep waking up every hour to check your phone if you got a new email or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it helps quite a bit because then you actually take time to, you know, get your brain to turn off because you're just focusing on pushing your tummy into the mattress to get your diaphragm going. Yeah, you've given them a competing thing, right? It gets back to the idea of giving them giving them some kind of activity that competes. Um, another great one is actually singing. If you have clients that like to sing, like having them sing in their car or whatever, the breathing for singing competes with anxiety breathing. So if you can just be belting out some of your, you know, your slow jams or whatever in the car on the way home, uh, it like something about like fifteen minutes of that will uh, will often really disrupt that sort of anxiety breathing pattern. That's awesome. <laughs> my fiance does that all the time like when she drives her car she'll have her windows down music blaring and always singing awesome <laughs> yeah. awesome she must be super relaxed <laughs> she is yeah because <laughs> yeah, we go to the gym together and we because uh, i'm already at the gym in the morning so she'll drive and then when i'm driving home and she's behind me i'll look in my rearview mirror and i'm like oh there she is singing again <laughs> yeah. she's like oh bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> seriously yeah Oh man. Um, do you have any like tips or tricks to help clients to keep on track if they're forgetful or, you know, they're just like caught up in their work and they're like, Oh shit, I have to do this thing and I still haven't done it. Yeah. I mean, there, there's sort of like active reminders and there's passive reminders, right? So passive reminders are like, um, things that you don't have to think about. So a good example of that is I leave my bike lock on my bike. It's just there. Um, so now I don't have to go looking for it. I don't have to remember where I put it. I don't have to remember to bring it. It's just there. So there's lots of little things like that that you can sort of have people do, like keep your running shoes in your car, right? So now you haven't now you haven't forgotten your workout stuff or like, you know, a spare change of clothes in your car. Um, and that's just some, some easy thing. So now it's like the, the, the memory work of remembering workout clothes is off the table. And then I'm a huge fan of reminders. And these are things that clients can set for themselves. There's all kinds of reminder apps. I, you know, I use them all the time. And anything with timers and kind of calendars, like my life is full of calendar reminders because I'm a little bit forgetful. So I outsource that, right? Computers are much better at remembering things than I am. So calendar reminders are a part of my life and I can send them to my email, my phone, whatever. Um, and then as the coach, you can also send reminders to people. I think text messaging is a very underrated, um, coaching tool and you can automate that as a coach, right? Like you could do it individually if you wanted, but there are programs that will send text messages for you at a certain time, certain day, whatever. So that's super handy. And, you know, often busy clients are very tied to their phones uh, and so it's like the natural medium for getting hold of people. Um, so, you know, you can have a series of things and just sort of figure out like, where is this person falling down? Do they have a lack of a routine? Like sometimes if you can get people into a very particular, like ritualized sequence of events, almost like a checklist, like I do this and then I do this and then I do this. Um, like before I leave the house, I'm like, lip balm, keys, wallet, cell phone, done. There's like a four ch- like item checklist. Sometimes it's like a routine or a ritual for people, like a meal prep ritual or something like that, that the coach can help them develop and practice. And then it just becomes second nature and they don't have to think about it anymore. So like the less you can get people thinking, the better <laughs> in a funny kind of way. Yeah, like uh, one of my clients, he has the uh, Apple Watch and they has like a, some sort of setting on there where if he's sitting for a certain uh, amount of time, it'll actually start vibrating and it won't stop until you like 
physically get up and move around the office for a certain distance, and then you're allowed to go back down to your desk. Yeah, that kind of stuff is great. Like, we live in an age now where really we can be reminded of anything, right? Like, in 2016, there's no reason to forget anything. <laughs> yeah. You can even hire like a virtual assistant to, like, I don't know, literally phone you or email if you're that bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome. I was I was actually looking into that, and I was like, man, this is tempting. They could do a lot of the stuff that I don't want to do. Totally. Um, that's why I was also going to say, like, with, like, those Fitbits, like, the fact that they give you that 10,000-step, like, marker, it just makes people, like, keep looking at their watch, like, okay, I need to do another 5,000 today, and it actually, like, tricks their brain to focus on something else to just get more active. Yeah, well, Pokemon Go is another great example of that, yes. right? Yes. focus on getting your little Pokemons. <laughs> I got, I tried that. When, like, I think the second weekend it came out, I was like, oh my God, this is so addictive. <laughs> and then the next day, my fiance's like, hey, you want to go on a hike? And I'm like, yeah, let's go on a hike. She's like, bring your phone. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was hilarious, but it's amazing. Like, it took them like 24 hours and got like, the whole United States to start going outside. And then you start seeing stories of uh, that one kid who caught all the Pokemon and lost 25 pounds because the amount of like places he kept walking to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's such a great example too of, of making this into a game as well. Right. And I think for whatever reason, like some people got this weird idea that this all had to be like this terrible chore, right? This horrible chore that we just add one more chore to like the list of chores we already have. It becomes this one, one more crappy thing on our to-do list. And I, I really like to flip that for clients and see if we can make it into some kind of game, especially if they have kids, you know, like, okay, go to the grocery store and I don't know, find something orange, whatever. Like it just, it's, it's gotta be fun as much as possible. And it's got to speak to what brings people joy, what keeps them entertained. And so it's really helpful to understand what gets people hooked on things, like in a good way? What keeps them enjoying things? Like humans really like games. They like playing. They like stuff like that. So the more we can capture that spirit for people, uh, the better. Yeah. Uh, so I got one more question for you, and it was sent in from one of my clients. And they were wondering what kind of like dietary specs you should have if you are pre, during, or post-menopausal. Oh, that's a big question. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, I think I would almost, before I even start with the food, I would start with the mindset. Okay. Because this, like, it's a time where you really need a huge amount of compassion and love for yourself because things are changing all the time. So I'm 42, almost 43, um, and I actually accidentally put myself into uh, early menopause for a period of time with just like training too heavily and that kind of stuff. So I got to have like the, the preview of menopause. Like, so I'm going to have menopause 2.0 in like 10 years, which should be awesome. awesome. But, but, you know, so I've already kind of gone through this, which is super fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, so, so I feel like what I would have loved is someone to tell me, things will be different every day almost or every week or every month. And so there's going to be a lot of things that you can't control. Now you can engage in like the best possible choices or like, you know, taking good care of yourself, but there's going to be just weird stuff. Like you're just going to wake up one day and for that 24 hours, your digestion will be weird. And there's just no reason for it. It just is that way. Or, you know, you're retaining water or you're not, or you have energy or you don't. So things will just be kind of weird. And I say this because I think that 
if you don't know this, it can be quite perplexing. Like what happens during menopause is that obviously hormone production declines, but it's not like this clear linear process. It's actually kind of uneven. So you're, and because hormones are pulsatile, like, which means they get release these little sort of puffs and bursts and I call them like little hormone farts right (laughs) Um, so it's you get this kind of weird random uh, asymmetrical hormone experience so um, so you don't always know what's going to happen and so if you're going through this process you need to be open to this kind of ebb and flow and change and not you know just not having certainty about how things are going to go your energy needs will change so you know, you're going to have to sort of figure out how to accommodate reduced energy needs, which means that your, your body's just not burning as much energy as it used to. Um, so you'll probably start putting on some weight. Um, you'll probably start putting it on a little bit more around your midsection as the hormonal profile shifts. Um, so your energy needs will go down. So you have to figure out how to eat less. But one of the things that will help with that, which is quite important, is to keep that intake high. Um, it'll help control your appetite, but it will also help you keep that metabolic health that is so important for all this stage of life. Because as estrogen declines, your um, risk of cardiovascular disease goes up. So, um, you know, really keeping that metabolic health will go a long way. So, you know, keep the protein high, keep, um, you know, looking for those whole foods, those, you know, fresh foods, unprocessed foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, if you could eat them, whatever. Um, so in terms of the composition of what you're eating, you're probably not going to change it so much. Uh, you know, your protein needs will stay relatively significant. Uh, you know, you'll be eating all those whole fresh foods. Really what changes the most, I would say, would be the energy intake. So over time, you want to be sort of slowly lowering that energy intake to, you know, to meet whatever your body needs. And of course, hopefully, you know, you're exercising and weight training, all that kind of stuff. Um, But there's really nothing special, if that makes sense, um, about this period other than, um, you know, I mean, some people find that increasing soy intake helps a little bit with hot flashes. That's, I think it varies a lot from woman to woman. We're definitely learning that there's a lot of individuality with how your hormones change, you know, what your genetic makeup is, if you have certain receptors or don't. So I'm kind of hesitant to say like, oh, everyone should eat soy because it helps hot flashes. That's not necessarily true. But what I would say is keep a diary, keep a journal of what you're noticing. Are you noticing hot flashes? Are you noticing losing sleep? Are you noticing weight gain? Where, where is it? How fast is it? Um, and see if you can link it to stuff. Because one thing that will often happen is you'll, you'll have these emerging food sensitivities. So maybe at age 30, you could go out drinking and it wouldn't matter, right? Yeah. At age 40, you have a glass of red wine and your body's like, hell no, right? Yeah. So, so you may notice emerging food sensitivities or you may start to link um, things that you're eating to symptoms. So for me now, I really notice a link between alcohol, sugar, uh, and grains, and particular symptoms, which is really interesting. Um, sugar, especially, it seems to make symptoms flare. But, you know, so, so see if you can kind of track what you're experiencing and then see if you can make connections between what you're experiencing and choices that you're making. And obviously, ideally, you know, move towards choices that make you feel 
as good as you possibly can. So that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but it's a, it's a great question. And I guess like, I feel like the take home for me would always be have so much compassion for yourself during this period <laughs> because it's a cuckoo bananas period, honestly. Like sometimes you're going to think you're just going nuts. Um, but you know, really try to hang in there. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that though, like having the mindset and kind of just listening to your body and kind of playing detective to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. It's so, so individual. And you know, I always hate like, um, these instructions to women that are like, Oh, you should do this and you should do that. And like, I'm like, come on, man. Like we're all individuals. We all have different life trajectories and histories and makeup. And you know, what's awesome for me may not be awesome for someone else. So really honor your individuality. I think that's so important. Perfect. Uh, so that's all the questions I got for you. And uh, if you can kind of tell people where they can find you on the internet, if you're on any kind of social media or any kind of projects you're working on next. Well, uh, you can mostly, I mean, I'm very easy to find on Facebook. You can just, you know, search for me on Facebook. I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook. And I know it's kind of like supposedly an old person medium, but <laughs> <laughs> I've largely abandoned Twitter. I don't know. I just... I, and I was an early adopter of it, but I've never really figured it out. So, um, so Facebook is a great way to find me. You can also read tons of stuff for free at Precision Nutrition, precisionnutrition.com. Just go to our blog. There's like a bazillion things for free, lots of really good articles and stuff. Um, and then you can also find me at stumptuous.com. That's my website. So it's S-T-U-M-P-T-U-O-U-S, I think. Um, I'm really bad at spelling verbally. <laughs> Stumptuous. Um, so, I mean, you can, you can find me there. And again, there's tons of stuff there. It's all free. Um, you know, I've got a couple eBooks. One is free, one is not. So, um, pretty much, you know, look for me on the Googles and, and you will definitely find lots of free, I think good stuff. Perfect. Uh, so thank you for your time. And that was, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me. No problem. Hey guys, hopefully you enjoyed episode 8 with Krissa Scott Dixon. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. Uh, so again, please rate, subscribe, and review, and uh, I'll see you guys next week.